This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to the Raider Cody Podcast, the official podcast of RaidersBeat.com. What's up, Raider Nation? This is Wayne Mabry, a.k.a. The Violator, and you're listening to the Raider Cody Podcast Show. Get your ears on and get some of this. Yeah! What's going on, Raider Nation? Coming back after a little bit of a break and joined, as always with me chris here man what's going on dude what's up cody raider nation what's going on uh so glad to be back uh you know it's been a couple weeks now but we got a lot of content got some exciting guests today really excited for this episode and we've had a couple weeks off but we've made some adjustments and we've we've introduced some new stuff of course we went ahead and we fired up our live stream we're doing that now every friday night make sure you're following us on our periscope or our Twitter, that's at Raider Cody Pod in both places. Uh, we launched a new game show on there too. That's going to be coming in there maybe every other week. Uh, we had one contestant already, Raider Roo, come in, handle things, get it going. Make sure you guys get involved in that. And if you want to compete, don't miss out. Uh, winner's getting a Raider Nation for Life or Flag, and runner-up is getting a DC4L Custom Tees t-shirt. So there's definitely uh, some gold at the end of the rainbow of the game show. So make sure you stay tuned and get involved there. And uh, just like Chris said, man, we got some good guests coming on, man. Tell us about him. We got Ted Wynn coming on. Uh, obviously, he's from The Athletic, uh, you know, senior NFL writer there. Uh, you know, I think most of Raider Nation already knows uh, the type of work that, that Ted does uh, in terms of film breakdown and um, kind of explaining the game of football on a higher level. So really excited to bring him in. And then also we're bringing in the Princess of Darkness, former Raiders CEO, Amy Trask. So yeah. excited to talk to her about the current state of the Raiders, some experiences from the past. It's going to be fun. Yeah, some exciting stuff. So just because we took two weeks off, we, we, didn't, we didn't technically take it off. You didn't hear our voices, but we're doing some work behind the scenes. So Chris, you ready to uh, get back into this thing and get some announcements going? Let's get it started. Raiders previous general manager Reggie McKenzie is joining the Miami Dolphins as the senior personnel executive. Running back coach Jamal Singleton has left the Raiders to take over the Cincinnati Bengals open position as running backs coach. And after losing a couple coaches in the last few weeks, the Raiders have announced that they added five assistant coaches to John Gruden's staff. Uh, two of them that highlighted, of course, is Brinston Buckner taking over the defensive line and John Morton taking over as a senior offensive assistant. What do you think about those moves, Chris? Pretty good? Well, as far as Buckner's concerned, we need more production out of the defensive line. Um, we have some big year one to year two jumps with Hurst and Hall and Key. So 
um, you know, to bring in someone else to kind of bring up the level of production and, uh, you know, add like a different voice, you know, last year they all, you know, they struggled as a unit, even though they were young, they struggled. So I'm looking forward to see what Buckner can do. And then the Morton hire is really notable to me. Uh, there was some talk last offseason that Gruden would bring him in to be his offensive coordinator. Didn't mm-hmm. happen. Obviously, we brought over Olsen uh, from the Rams, and he was hired as the offensive coordinator. But I kind of view him, even though Callahan was the quarterback coach last year, I kind of view Olsen as a glorified quarterback coach. Yeah. And I feel like Morton coming in, being the senior offensive assistant, is just kind of going to be a co-offensive coordinator with Gruden, bringing another you know, intelligent mind into that offensive room to add some more create creativity, um, you know, into the playbook, in, into the meeting rooms. And I'm really excited to see, uh, you know, some extra wrinkles going into the Raiders offense next year. Yeah, there we go. Might take a little weight off John Gruden's shoulders too on the sideline. Interesting to see. And uh, since we're talking schemes, since we're talking offense, you ready to bring in our first guest tonight, Ted Wynn, and break some of the stuff down, man? Let's do it, man. Let's bring him in. Let's get him on the phone. All right, now we got Ted Wynn on the phone. He's the NFL staff writer for The Athletic. Ted, we appreciate you making the time to come on tonight. How are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Good deal, man. I noticed you just launched a new podcast at the beginning of the season called The Coffeehouse Stunt. Man, I love the name. It's super creative. But the first question I got to ask, I've listened to it, and I noticed that you had Gypsy Safety as a guest I got to know, man, who did you hire and how the heck did you train them to act like your burner account, man? (laughs) (laughs) That's actually my uh, six-year-old brother. I I trained him to, I just gave him a script and paid him candy to talk. (laughs) 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 Uh, Gypsy, uh, Gypsy, he's a, we're different people, believe it or not. We're different people and he, uh, he's a great guy. Um, You know, he, I think he started from Reddit and I just started seeing some of the stuff on Twitter and uh, when I was running my own website, RaidersAnalysis.com, we connected and we did some good work together. And like you said, we, I have him on the pod occasionally, and he, he always drops great info. Ted, uh, Chris here. Um, first of all, I just want to say a huge fan of yours. You know, I know, understand now um, you're, a, you're a big deal with the athletic, you know, uh, covering the whole NFL. But I remember the days when you were just one of ours. You were a Raider guy that broke down the Raiders only. And I've been following you this whole time. Really happy for you and your success. Um, I wanted to uh, ask you, um, just dive right into it, um, you know, because we respect your opinion so much. When you look at the 2018 season as a whole for for Derek Carr, can you assess his game individually? And how did you feel that Gruden and the new staff kind of groomed him and made him better in certain ways compared to, you know, where his uh, game was previous to that? Uh, I think that uh, first, thank you for the compliment. And, you know, even though I covered NFL teams, I'll, I'll always, you know, have a place for the Raiders and I'll always make time to cover the Raiders. Right uh, on, but man. as far as, uh, <laughs> as far as your question, uh, I think that, um, I think that Derek Carr at needed somebody that could coach him hard. And he had that with Musgrave. And obviously that was his best year. And there's a combination of factors why he didn't play well. And obviously having that injury and uh, just not being able to stand in the pocket just because of, um, just a, I guess, fear of getting hit uh, took place in 2017. But you can see in 2018, he looked a lot more comfortable in the pocket. Um, he had to face the most pressure he's probably ever had to face in his entire career. And he was either going to completely fold or he's going to fight and get better at 
uh, staying strong in the pocket and learning to deal with that pressure. And I thought he did make progress in that area uh, in the two, in last year. And um, I mean, you might not be able to see it when you just look at the, the bare numbers, uh, but I think even PFF showed that he progressed as a quarterback under pressure as the weeks went along. So those are all great signs for um, the next season. Um, and it takes, it takes about a year to learn this offense. John Gruden has a very high volume type of offense. It takes a while to learn. And I think that uh, just having this year to learn it, having this year to kind of get over that fear and play under pressure is going to be really good for him heading into next season. You know, speaking of that, that kind of leads into my next question. Um, when you look at the offense, you know, obviously cars, the weeks got on, seemed to get, you know, better, more consistent. Um, and sort of the passing offense in general, when you look at that, do you just kind of categorize that as Carr just getting a higher level grasp of Gruden's offense? Or did you maybe see some things, some concepts, you know, as far as the, the route tree or some plays that they were starting to call that where Gruden was maybe also getting, um, you know, into a better flow as to what Derek Carr was good at. And did you see any kind of concepts from the past, like in, from Bill Musgrave that he maybe started to incorporate to, uh, you know, uh, not only rise Carr's confidence, but just the fact that it, they seem to work so well in the past. Um, I mean, there were some concepts that Carr definitely executed better than others that you could see uh, that was called throughout the season. Uh, I think this offense and just the West Coast style in general kind of fits uh, car car style uh, or way of quarterbacking um, better than Todd Downing's offense, which was kind of, um, there's no, I wouldn't say there, there was a central theme to it. And um, Gruden is just, he did a really good job of, uh, I think, researching and picking up concepts from different offenses and adding it into this offense, uh, which is what you want to see in a modern offense. You don't want to see the same stale old plays it's a copycat league and I thought he did a pretty good job of integrating new ideas into the offense as the weeks went along. Um, but I think that just being more comfortable with the language, being more comfortable with the way Gruden calls plays, I think he's more systematic and his football IQ is much um, higher than what Carr has had in the past. Uh, that's what made it better. And I think just in general, when Carr had protection, he played pretty well. Uh, when he didn't have protection, he didn't play well. Um, so I think protection actually correlates with how, when he was playing well, more than the actual progression of the offense, which is important too. Uh, but you could kind of see Carr's potential in his offense when he actually did get some protection. That's a good perspective that you just gave us, Ted. I really appreciate that. And I know we got to get this thing wrapped up, uh, but I want to ask you one last question. We're talking about the secondary in this episode. Um, and I want to ask you about our man, number 21, Gary and Conley. Do you think that he's finally solidified his position on our defense, or do you see us maybe shuffling him around a little bit like we did last year? What's your take on our uh, young and rising star player, Gary and Conley? Uh, I don't think there will be a lot of shuffling around. I think Gary and Conley is definitely, um, definitely a piece that you want to keep around his offense. He looks like, uh, to me, I always thought he, he could has that star potential. He started to prove that a little bit. That's a good take on my man, Gary, and I appreciate that, Ted. I appreciate your insight tonight. Uh, now, for anyone that's not following you, I'd be ashamed if they don't. Uh, where can someone find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FB underscore film analysis. Uh, you can follow my work on The Athletic. Um, and, yeah, listen to the Coffee House Stunt Pod. There we go. Ted, keep doing your thing. You have a good night, and thank you for coming on, dude. See ya.
Take care, Ted. Thanks no a lot. Problem. Man. Thanks for having me on. That was some good stuff from Ted, man. He was actually one of the first guys I've ever followed on Twitter whenever I, you know, kind of jumped into the Raider Twitter community, I guess you could say, uh, back in back in the heyday around the little before the 2016 season. Uh, Ted, man, he's he's always for a long time now broken it down. And at that time, he was pretty much strictly Raiders, man. He was just he was that expert in my mind. I always look for Ted Wynn on the timeline. And uh, he spread his wings, man. He's doing good over there at the Athletic. And I was I was pumped to be able to get him on here today, man. Were you were you excited there, Chris? You know, you bring up a good point. I think his old Twitter handle was Raiders Analysis, and then yep. he changed it because you know he uh, he got big time, and now uh, you know the rest of the NFL is getting a little bit of Ted Wynn. But yeah, he's a brilliant offensive mind. Um, no, just a football mind in general. I shouldn't just specifically make it offense. And uh, he's doing a great job. And you know, he's one of those guys that if you want to learn more about football uh, uh, on a deeper level. Um, you should always be trying to learn and listen to people who know a lot more about it than you do. Yeah. And Ted Wynn is one of those guys. And I'll tell you what, Chris, you know how we can put the cherry on top of a Ted Wynn interview, man? I'm going to have to go ahead and say Amy Trask. Let's bring in Amy Trask, man. You ready for her? Let's do it. All right, so now we have special guest on the phone, Amy Trask. Amy Trask, you guys know who she is, but she's the CBS Sports Network analyst and a chairman of the big three. Uh, but I'd rather maybe just call you our princess of darkness. How are you doing today, Amy? And hi. Well, I'm doing well. I thank you for saying hi, hi back. And I thank you for using my nickname. It is really, you know, man, it's the best nickname ever. And I will cherish it forever. Awesome. Awesome. First question I had for you today, Amy, um, you know, the, the move happened that all the Raiders fans have wanted. Uh, we're staying in Oakland for our final year before we move to Vegas. Are you happy that Mark Davis and the city of Oakland were able to put their differences aside and strike a deal? I think it makes all the sense in the world. Um, it, it is the best thing for the for the, the team, and, and I'm separating team from organization. It may be terrific for the organization as well. I think it is, but in particular the team to not have to have routines disrupted and additional travel, whether by bus or otherwise, it it just simplifies everything for the organization and, and specifically the team. And I saved something very, very important for last, which is it's terrific for the fans in that area. Those who are choosing not to travel to Vegas for the games to have one last season with the team in Oakland. And I do recognize some of the fans will fly to Las Vegas for the games, but there are those who won't, and this is it's just terrific for them. Regarding the move, one last question with it. Um, of course, you know, you've had almost 30 years of experience working with the Raiders, and that was starting back, you know, in 1983, which was the second year after the team moved to L.A. So you've experienced, uh, you know, lots of stuff whenever you move back to even Oakland. How would this transition to Las Vegas be different than the previous moves? I'm going to address that in one second, but I do want to finish – one thought I failed to share okay. when, we were at, when I was answering the first question, which is um, I hope the organization, and I've spoken to this a lot publicly, both on CBS Sports Network and otherwise, so I won't belabor this, but I do hope that the organization uses the opportunity of one last season in Oakland to express tremendous appreciation and say thank you to the fans in the Bay Area who have supported the team through thick and thin for the years the team has been back. And I won't belabor it now, but I, there's some really neat things the team can do every week to say thank you to the fans. Uh, as to your question, 
I was not with the team when Al moved it from Oakland to Los Angeles. As you noted, I joined, uh, I was an intern in the 83 timeframe. So I was with the team when he moved it from Los Angeles back to Oakland. And it's quite an undertaking, as will this move to Las Vegas. Makes sense. Makes sense. Amy, Chris here. Thanks again for joining us today. Um, wanted to ask you about John Gruden. Um, obviously, you know you were there and you were part of the process of hiring him in 1998. And then also you were there and you've talked about that many times when he was traded in 2002. When you think about John Gruden and now he's in his second stint with the Raiders, and obviously you're kind of judging this from afar, but how much do you think he's grown? And what would you say the differences are between Gruden then and Gruden now, positive or negative? Well, I'm, I'm not involved with the organization now, so I don't have any particular insights um, from an inside-the-building standpoint uh, in terms of how he may have evolved and he may change. I'll note two things, though. Number one, we all evolve over time uh, in our Well, we evolved, period, but putting aside anything other than professionally, I'll speak to that. We all evolved professionally over time, and I'm sure that John has evolved as well. I mean, everyone grows on their jobs. People make changes consciously. They may make changes they're unaware of, but it's been a long period of time since he's been there. And that gets me to the second point, which is a number of people have raised eyebrows and said, you know, is all the time off the field, out of coaching, going to hamper him? I think what he was doing during the years he was out of coaching worked to his advantage. I have the opposite view as to what others have said. I think all that time on television, broadcasting games, and all that it entails, visiting with each team, talking with their coaches, evaluating their personnel, seeing the changes in the game, I think that works to his advantage. So not only do I I not see the disadvantage others see, I view it as an advantage. I second that. I agree with that sentiment as well. And kind of another question in regards to John Gruden, Amy, Um, obviously, you know, going 4-12 last year, trading Khalil Mack, not exactly the start that us fans really wanted, and I'm sure it wasn't the start that uh, that John Gruden wanted. Um, but when you look at the 70 plus million dollars in cap space they have this year, the uh, five first round draft picks they have um, the next two years, do you see Gruden and Mayock and just kind of turning this whole franchise around to being a consistent competitor again in the not so distant future, or do you think it's going to take some time? I don't think it's possible to answer that yet. Um, and, and I'm not looking to equivocate. There's just not enough information there. Look, he came in and he was granted absolute authority over the entire organization, top to bottom, every position he's running that organization. And he made a decision that he did not like the rebuild that Reggie had done. Fair enough. That was his decision to make. That was power granted to him. Um, I know there are people who begrudge him that. But look, when you're brought in and you're told you're in charge of the entire organization, you're running this, and you decide you don't like what you see has been done before you got there, you're going to roll up your sleeves and you're going to make changes. So he obviously decided changes need to be made. There's one that I find troubling and and I'm not alone in that and this is not me looking to to pick an argument with anyone but the the one change that troubled me was the decision to move Khalil Mack Mm -hmm. because 
everything I just said, it being his absolute right to rebuild um, after Reggie's rebuild, to redo things, Khalil Mack is the, the precise player I would want to build around. In other words, if I'm telling you I'm rebuilding this organization, that's the guy I want to build around. Now, fair enough, he's got a lot of draft picks now, but aren't you really looking to use those draft picks to go pick? someone that you hope can be as good as the guy you moved on from. Now, in that regard, I think Mike Mayock is a good addition to the organization. I think Mike will help in that regard. Mike already said something, which I I said publicly from the combine, which I think um, is going to show us a little bit of a different Raiders than we saw last year. Mike said, we're not, and I'm not looking to quote him. These are my words, not his, but he said, we need to bring in young players. Um, In other words, referencing the fact that if you're rebuilding, you can't do what the organization did last year and go out and spend 50, 60 million on aging vets. That's not a rebuild. I love the way you answer that. Great answer, Amy. And, you know, again, you're perfectly segueing me into another question now. I wanted to ask you about uh, new Raiders GM Mike Mayock. Do you have any like personal or professional, um, you know, experience, like maybe a moment that you could share with us in regards to him, any insight that maybe us Raider fans could, uh, you know, hold on to, um, you know, as far as your experiences with him? Uh, No specific moment comes to mind. I enjoyed interacting with Mike for many, many, many years throughout my career. I always enjoyed his insights. Um, uh, You know, I had the the pleasure of, of hearing those insights, many of them personally and directly, not simply on television, although I enjoyed those as well. Um, I like Mike. I, I, he's, this is a new role for him, and I am hoping and rooting for his every success. Um, I really did enjoy working with Mike quite a bit, had a number of opportunities to interact with him. I can't think, though, of one particular moment that strikes me above all others. Okay. I see where you're coming from, Amy. Well, congrats. You made it through the rigorous part of our interview here. But on a little bit of a wind down, uh, wrapping up here, the last couple questions. Of course, Chris and I, we're in the younger generation of Raider fans. So it's kind of hard for us to grasp everything that Al Davis was about throughout his entire career. Of course, you know, we really only remember, you know, the final stages of it. But Amy, if you had to tell us one thing about Al for us to hold on to and remember him by, what would that be? Oh, wow. Um, And I did have to smile when you said the youngest generation, younger generation of Raider fans. I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did they just call me old on their podcast? I'm going to have to hang up right now. Um, Never, 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 never. Abort, abort. uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, okay, I'll tell you the biggest misconception about Al. Um, There is a view that Al would not tolerate disagreement or that he would not tolerate those who disagreed with him. Well, if that was the case, I would have been fired roughly two weeks into my job. I was sitting in a room, um, and I won't belabor the whole story. I did write about it in a book, but I'll, I'll give you a brief version here. I was sitting in the room with someone. He walked in, tore into this person like I could only imagine a velociraptor would tear into flesh. And after a bit of time, I realized I disagreed with what he was saying. So I told him, you know, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I don't even think I said, I'm sorry. I said, excuse me, that's right. I said, excuse me, you're wrong. And I'd been there. Guys, I was there roughly two weeks at the time. And he turned and looked at me. I will never forget that expression on his face. And to make a longer story short, we really argued. He yelled, I yelled. 
I wasn't aware of it at the time, but people had gathered in the hallway and it was so loud they were listening. And, you know, I explained to him, I said, look, if the facts on which you were basing your conclusion were accurate, well, then that's a fair conclusion. But you're basing your conclusion on inaccurate data. And we just yelled. And when I was all, when we were done yelling at one another, he looked at me and said, okay, all right, I got it. And we moved on. And I learned at that moment, two and a half weeks, two weeks, two and a half weeks into my job, um, you, I absolutely could argue with this man. And, but if you're going to argue, and I believe this in all aspects of business, if you want to argue with someone, bring your facts, bring your data. Don't just argue to argue. Back up your argument with supporting information. And, you know, I think there were many, 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 many years of my career, perhaps the most of my career, where I think Al and I disagreed with one another more than we agreed. But at the end of the day, he owned the organization, and it was my job to, A, express when I disagreed with him, B, tried to convince him to do something differently, but C, if he decided to proceed as he wished, I guess I'll go to D and say it was my responsibility to effectuate his decision as best I could. And let me tell you one other thing, men. When a decision is made, whether you agree with it or not, it's the decision of the organization and it's everyone's responsibility to effectuate the decision as best he or she can and make it as good a decision as it can be. And the one thing for which I have no tolerance in that circumstance are people who run around and whisper behind the scenes, I don't like this decision, I don't like this decision. Nuh-uh, that's not how you do it when you're part of a team. You disagree internally, and then you make whatever decision the organization makes as good as it can be. So that's something I'll share with you about Al. We disagreed more than we agreed, and the, the, the fallacy that you can't disagree with him is just that, an untruth. I love that. I love how you gave us a piece of life advice there you know, from a business standpoint and a real life standpoint. That was good stuff, Amy. You know, like I said, that proves just how respected you were from a business standpoint. And also, you know, we, we see your feel. Uh, you have a, you have a good balance between business, between keeping players happy, between keeping fans happy. We see you always making suggestions for what the Coliseum should do. And I always find myself agreeing with you. Now, this is kind of a joint question for us, Amy. Me and Chris both agree with it, and we both have to know. I mean, do we got to sign a petition? What do we got to do to get you in as the NFL commissioner, Amy Trask? <laughs> now, why would you go wish that on a girl? And first of all, thank you for everything you just said. That is very, very gracious and very generous. And as to the fans, I will say this. I said this to Al umpteen times throughout my career, and I said it at league meetings. The fans are precious and fans are to be treated as precious there is no league as we know it without fans so fans should be appreciated and thanked fans are precious and a career full of special special moments some of my very most special moments were those i spent with fans i used to love walking through the stadium on game day, whether we were home or on the road and visiting with Raider fans and, and on, at home games, I spent a lot of time in the stands and I'm not just talking in the fancy schmancy seats. I spent time everywhere. And I will always remember one of my colleagues, um, the president of another team, once saying to me in this tone of voice, 
Amy, I always see you walking through the stadium, whether you're playing at our stadium or in your stadium, and you're always spending time in the stands. Why do you do that? <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, why don't you? It just <laughs> it makes no sense to me when um, executives and staff with teams aren't spending time with their fans. And that was my way of like talking a lot, so I didn't really have to get to your commissioner question although I do feel very, very passionate about everything I just said to you. Um, when, they move the, when they move the league office to Malibu, we can chat. Okay, there we go. We'll put in a suggestion definitely to the NFL for that one. we got to make this happen. You know, I just want to say thank you so much. I'm just going to speak for Raider Nation. We just, you really are our princess of darkness, and we all so appreciate um, that you do that. Uh, you know, you mean a lot to me, and you mean a lot to Raider Nation, Amy. We really, we really love you. Well, it really was a privilege and pleasure to join you. And I will say to you, a Raider fan, as I say to all the Raider fans, thank you for the decades we spent together um, it really was among the most special moments of my career, the moment spent with fans. Awesome. Thank you so much for the phone call, Amy. We got your back. We'll see you on Twitter. All right. I look forward to that. Gosh dang it, Chris. I'm telling you. Uh, I've been waiting two weeks for this episode, and it was well worth it. Amy, man, just topped it off. I love – man, we had we had two great guests on here. I can't complain. What would you think about it, Chris? I'm in awe right now. We just interviewed – Amy Trask, Dude. former Raiders CEO and the only female chief executive officer that's ever done that for an NFL franchise. We just interviewed her. I'm, I'm honestly just, I'm in awe right now. I'm pumped. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's good stuff, dude. Because, you know, we like to, this is a hobby for us, man. This is a hobby. We're, we're out here doing it for fun to spread our opinions. And there's nothing more satisfying than being able to get someone like that on here to talk football with us. And, man, just... It just feels good, man, for, for some small-time podcasters to get this thing rolling. Good old Amy Trask, man. She came through came through clutch for us. Yeah, she's so professional, uh, as always. And I just, again, like, I tried to let her know, you know, that we just appreciate, you know, she's like a voice for us. You know, sometimes as Raider fans, you know, with the, the relocating, we feel like we don't have a voice for us. And I feel like if you could appoint one person to be that voice – it would probably be Amy Trask. So yeah. it was great to be able to let her know that and, and show our appreciation. Yeah, even some of her interviews, she's almost asking uh, for too much than I'd actually want for the fans, man. I love it. You know, I see her getting on there and uh, requesting things for, for Sunday games, and that's just awesome, man. She's just going the absolute extra mile for us, and there are zero complaints here on our end of Raider Nation, no doubt. All right, Chris, let's get back to business now. And we got our next position group this week, the secondary. And that's another thing that's been building up on me because it's kind of the most exciting group that, you know, I grew up with. That's, uh, you know, grew up watching Charles Woodson, Namdi Asamoah. It's kind of been one of those things that some of the best Raiders players have been highlighted in the secondary. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, D'Angelo Hall and uh, Reggie Nelson, guys like that are (laughs) – you know, really have, uh, you know, taught me that that's the value of football is having a good defensive back. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, man, I feel like we have a good, uh, a young unit that's on the rise and I'm really excited to, to talk about who we got, um, specifically at the cornerback position. We're on the rise guys like Gary on Conley, but also what free agents are there? Uh, you know, what guys are there in the draft that we could bring in at corner or safety. So we're going to dive into that right now. Yeah. And just like you said, I mean, 
there's not really much to rant and rave about whenever it comes to this defense, but the obvious is that our secondary is probably the most impressive group of it all. And uh, what makes it so interesting to me is how much they rotated the players. I've never seen that so so much with our defense. Um, I felt like John and Paul, you know, they knew that they might have that right combination of players on the current roster, and they just constantly changed it up trying to make things work. And I finally felt like we kind of had a solid group. Uh, Gary and Conley, you obviously seen kind of sitting in his position. Uh, you saw some of the safeties. You saw Char Carl Joseph, um, our star safety, getting in there, getting his playing time carved out. Um, but obviously, you know, um, our, our secondary or our pass defense, it ended up, uh, finishing the season 19th, um, which isn't too bad considering how bad the rest of our defense was, but here's an interesting stat for you, Chris. Um, our pass defense allowed the fewest completions in the league. Um, it was the only team to allow under 300 completions. Now here's the thing is it sounds good, right? It sounds good. I know but what the end result is. Get to the, the bad stat. I already the, know what's coming. <laughs> the thing is, man, the thing is with this is we allowed the highest yard per throw, 8.2 yards, and we allowed the most passing touchdowns at 36. Yeah, I mean, Cody, when you, know, you give up a 70-yard jet sweep for a touchdown, that's going to skew it a little bit. You give up a 65-yard <laughs> screen pass for a touchdown, I mean – it's not going to take many completions to get down the field, but the yardage is an issue. But, uh, you know, not um, us, man, not in, us <laughs> in regards to, you know, talking about our defensive backs, though, you mentioned like you liked the rotations. I actually thought the defense settled in in the second half of the season because Gunther kind of started filtering out some of the older veterans and took the younger guys, the Conleys, the Nick Nelsons, the Worleys and made them more a part of the defense consistently. Their snap counts went up, so I felt like they were more athletic and more talented um, than some of the older veterans that they were patching and playing in the beginning of the season. So we'll go through player by player, but I really felt like when they stopped rotating and they let the more talented younger players play, they were better. So let's start with the first guy um, that was part of that group, and that was Gary and Conley. We saw him, uh, I mean... Let, let's take he's it back. Good, huh? He's he's a decent he's, player, huh? <laughs> he's pretty good, man. But here's the thing: is you know everyone's saying that now, but let's take this back to last year, man. And this is this to me is a perfect example of of uh, maybe the the little bit of dysfunction here in Raider Nation. Uh, we dealt with constant. Uh, I felt like I was constantly having to maybe argue or defend or shut down any immediate criticism already of Gary and Connolly calling him injury prone saying he can't get on the field saying he's not gonna be the guy another waste of draft pick type deal and really essentially I mean of course you know you saw it started out as a shin injury uh tagged as you know shin splints obviously there's something more to it whether there's some sort of uh fracture of the bone or, or something that was going on there that you know of course we didn't quite know about but you saw him turn it around get on the field he played 15 out of the 16 games of course missing the one with that pretty gnarly concussion where he slammed the back of his head on the back of the turf. But after making, of course, a, a very athletic breakup. Um, but Gary and Conley is a perfect example that this guy, man, has been against all odds. Of course, you know, starting his NFL career off, you know, with uh, being accused of rape. That obviously got shut down shortly after the draft. Turned out to be a great steal for us there at 24. And he finished the year, man. Like I said, he played 15 games. He had three interceptions, one of them being a huge pick six that set the, set the tone to get a win against the Browns. Uh, well, definitely one of the most exciting plays. And uh, I'm going to end this, man, with, his with to me, his most favorable stat 
um, he had the seventh best catch percentage allowed with 54.1%. Um, so if I'm looking at Gary and Conley, I see him as a top five player on this roster, the entire roster. If I'm, if I'm looking at the 53 man, number easily, 21 is easily. easily top five and he should no doubt be a high priority for us the next 10 years. What do you think, Chris? Man, I mean, you know, just going back to the whole injury situation, you know, we can all remember Jack Del Rio was really weird with injuries. You never really knew. Uh, He was so private about it to the point where fans really didn't know what was going on. You know, the the Gary on Conley situation kind of reminded me of the whole Hugh Jackson, Darren McFadden injury when it was like, Mm. yeah, he should be back in a week or two. Like, we're hoping he can play. And he's like out pretty much the whole season, you know, so yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, the, the, the talent was always there with, with Conley. You, you go back to his time at Ohio state, you could not complete a fade on the guy. Like no. he was just so talented. Um, his technique is so good. He gets his head around, he knocks yes. balls down. Obviously the highlight game for him was, um, going up against, you know, a guy that we've talked about a lot, mm-hmm. Antonio Brown, right? Well, mm-hmm. I watched some tape of that game and, and it was so impressive the, how Conley was taking I mean, they definitely did some things to attempt to take Brown away in certain instances, but there was other times when he was pretty much left alone and, and Conley seemed to just rely on his technique. He's a guy who can be physical. He's a guy who can break on the ball quickly. He's got long speed to catch up to it on the deep ball. And, uh, you know, he's kind of a complete corner in that way. And he had a great game against Antonio Brown. Brown had one of his, you know, lower catch and yardage uh, games of the season and uh, you know that a lot of that can be attributed to a guy like Aaron Conley and how he played that day the Raiders have finally a number one corner that is only going to get better you think uh, you know because he has all the talent in the world if he can stay healthy GC 21's our man for sure but let's go to the other side right now if we're looking at the current roster um, our clear cut number two as of now Daryl Worley um, and Worley was a player that I mean, he's pretty good, man. I mean, he's no doubt he's a starter on pretty much any team. Uh, he kind of just fell into our lap in a way, I guess you could say. Um, he was a he was a third round pick by the Panthers. Felt like he had a pretty decent couple years, but then he was traded to the Eagles, and in the off season, um, he was arrested after being passed out in his vehicle with a DUI. It was it was a pretty uh pretty ugly arrest for him. It was definitely definitely not the brightest time of his career. Uh, but John Gruden gave him a second chance. And he's obviously very thankful for it. If you follow him on Instagram or on social media, period, um, you see that he seems to have a, a deep love for the silver and black. And I mean, I'll say there's some, there's some, adjust- I mean, I'm, I'm high on Daryl Worley. We've talked about this before, Chris, right, uh, but right. there's definitely some adjustment to his game that I'd love to see. Um, I couldn't tell you there's, there's not too many times I look, I look into the secondary during the game and I'm screaming at a player. Uh, that seems like they're maybe out of position. And it seemed like Daryl Worley was there more times than not, maybe sagging off too much, giving the wide receiver too much room. And if you go back to our game versus Baltimore when he was sagging off on Crabtree and pretty much, I mean, virtually gave him an untouched slant straight into the end zone. It's little stuff like that that I'd like to see him maybe try and capitalize. Get a little bit more aggressive, man. He's a big dude. Uh, he's athletic. He makes the plays. I mean, don't be afraid to snug up on that line, guy. You know what I mean? Get after it. Make some plays. But other than that, Daryl Worley is a guy that, depending on how we handle the situation, he's a restricted free agent this offseason. But uh, if it comes away, I'd like to see him in the silver or black a few more years, some way, somehow. And Chris, how do you think we handle that contract situation? Well, it's uh, you know, you bring up the Baltimore situation. I, I knew you were going to go there with that play. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we all remember that. I, I, I don't know if 
there was some miscommunication there or what, but it was an easy pitch and catch for Lamar Jackson to Crabtree on that play. And there was definitely some instances like that. You just wonder how much of that is, you know, the the scheme just being off or maybe one of the, the backers were supposed to kind of cover the slant area. Nonetheless, um, there was a lot to like with Worley. Uh, and, you know, I really feel like uh, he's a guy that with the restricted free agency that he has, um, the tender that he can sign with the Raiders, that the Raiders can apply it really makes sense to bring him back and put him in a contract year again. 100% agree with that. Some way, somehow, John Gruden, make it happen. Let's get some more action out of Worley, see what he can develop into. Um, now, next, going down the depth chart, uh, it's kind of a toss-up here. Rashawn Melvin, obviously he came into the year. I was very high on him. Um, I remember whenever we signed him, there was a stat that came out. It was like the last three wide receivers that he covered. It was like Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins. It was like three of the top five wide receivers in the league. And he held them. He shut them all down to like under 40 yards receiving. And I'm thinking like, man, this guy just came out. He ended the year just on fire. We locked him up. And he's going to be our number one guy, like no doubt. Him and Gary Conley are going to be the guy or the guys lined up. But um, unfortunately, he was kind of he was he was suspect to the the rotation, obviously heavily rotated in and out a lot with Gary and Conley. And at some point it looked like he was growing frustrated with it. Um, obviously hit to Twitter at one point, voiced his frustrations about, you know, Hey, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to fit your scheme. This is how I've done it my whole career. And that's how I'm going to keep doing it. That's how I've made my money. Uh, you guys, you guys can't change my mind. Well, maybe a few weeks went by, maybe someone talked to him. It seemed like he settled down. It seemed like he was maybe a little bit happier to be on the roster, but essentially I don't see him in this off season necessarily returning um it's a toss-up though chris what do you think about it i I really don't think it's a toss-up i would be shocked if melvin was a raider next year um true no obviously the his you know when he came into the year like you said i was excited about him uh there was a lot of talk about the technique as you were alluding to he was really trying to do the technique that that gunther wanted him to use uh that kind of fit well with the scheme he was trying to run and what he was asking melvin to do and seemed like Melvin just was never quite comfortable. Um, and, you know, his biggest play of the year, I think he had an interception against Denver, and that was early on in the year. And um, it was, you know, a good it was snack, an exciting too. moment. But, it, uh, you know, from there, it, it there wasn't a lot of high points for Melvin. Um, and then toward the second half of the year, he really didn't, you know, you didn't see him on the field a whole lot. And, no. you know, I alluded to that. They started going with the Conley, Worley, Nelson lineup and, and kind of realized that Melvin isn't part of their future. And, uh you know, I, I, as much as I like Melvin and I think he's probably a good dude, it's difficult in the social media world that early on in the year, the Raiders were losing. There seemed to be a lot of negative energy in the locker room and social media is at your disposal. And they had come back, I believe from the blowout in Seattle when he did that, uh, that mm-hmm. whole, uh, you know, tweet like that you were, that you were talking about. And, um, you know, that wasn't a good moment. I wasn't super pumped about that, but that's not why I don't like think he's going to be back. I just think that it didn't work out the way that Gunther probably thought it would, the way that Melvin thought it would, and the and the way that us fans thought it would. So he he's an unrestricted free agent, and I see him uh, you know being on a another unit in 2019. There we go, man. We're just going to keep moving down the depth chart, and the next guy I got is Nick Nelson, or as I tried to dub him earlier in the off season, Nickel Nelson. Uh, he was our first pick in day three of the draft, 2018. 110th overall coming out of Wisconsin and uh, he entered in this year with an already crowded cornerback room didn't really think he's gonna get much playing time 
But as some of the veterans dropped off, he squeezed in there. He tried to get some stuff worked out. But he didn't really make too much of an impact. He was constantly uh, he was he was on the bad side of highlight tapes. But ultimately, I think Nick Nelson has some upside. I'm interested to see what it turns into for him in 2019. Pretty excited. A little underwhelmed this season. But what do you think about Nick Nelson, Chris? I don't know about the nickel nickname, uh, Cody. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Nelson, honestly, he has a lot of really good physical tools. Uh, he's, uh, you know, a really fast guy, uh, really good cover. You know, you talked about the lack of interceptions. But he had, like, 20-plus passes defensed his uh, okay. uh, last year at Wisconsin. Previous to that, he had played at the University of Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken. But, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so the, he batted a ton of balls down and didn't intercept him. But to me, um, you know, the big knock on him coming in was, you know, from out of college when they drafted him in the fourth round last year was really good cover corner, no interceptions, but gets a little handsy, a lot of flags come his way. Um, but that he does provide pretty tight coverage. And, you know, at the beginning of the year, he wasn't really playing a lot. I really liked that they got him on the field. I definitely think he has ability, and I, I'm really interested to see his year one to year two jump um, in his techniques. And, uh, you know, he's a guy, too, that, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they threw on the punt return unit. I mean, he's got a lot of speed mm-hmm. in the open field. So, uh, you know, he had some success with that in college. Um, but as far as the nickel position, I, I think that at the very least, um, he'll be right there competing for the, you know, kind of the starting nod, so to speak, um, in the slot there. And to wrap up our corners, man, it was, it, Leon Hall was the other guy, like I mentioned earlier with uh, Nick Nelson, rotating in, gave us some uh, veteran support, obviously very familiar in Paul Gunther's system. But he's a, he's an unrestricted free agent this offseason, uh, kind of another guy. I doubt he comes back. Maybe he's a last chance effort if we if we don't score anywhere else in cornerbacks in the offseason. But let's go ahead and transition into safeties. Chris, why don't you take the lead on our safeties? Who do we got? Well, I mean, we got the most notable Carl Joseph, obviously, yeah. uh, drafted uh, first round 2016 out of West Virginia. Um, it's kind of been an up and down ride with Carl, right? Um, you know, you, you you look at him in, in 2016 early on, he uh, had some really good moments with that team. Uh you know, he, he was a really physical safety, comes in in the box and, um, you know, is not afraid to, you know, get get involved in the run game, smack some hits, kind of set the tone a little bit, um, you know, and obviously he's got he's got some range, um, you know, as a in, in the center field. A lot of people kind of pounding the table for him to play more free safety in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, the some issues that he's had um, during his career as a Raiders matching up against tight ends. Yeah. Uh, you know, guys like Hunter Henry have abused him in the past. Uh, Kelsey, when he's been matched up in certain situations, he's just not been effective. But Carl has his strengths. And if he's used correctly, he's a really good player. Um, you know, so it, it comes into an interesting situation with his contract. The Raiders have to decide pretty quickly here if they're going to exercise his fifth year option. And that fifth year option isn't for this year. He's going to be a Raider this year. But that fifth year option decides whether they will have him in 2020 or not under that rookie contract again, or if he'll be an unrestricted free agent. So there was some kind of talk about how the Raiders weren't going to be, you know, report came out via Raiders beat, uh, you know, that uh, we weren't going to be exercising the fifth year option on him. And then another report came in just in the last couple days mm-hmm. that said, you know, and then Gruden, I believe uh, even spoke on it that they're planning on, exercising that fifth year option so it's kind of confusing in a way like is he going to be here is he not 
And then, you know, he's been involved in trade rumors all throughout, like, I feel like the last 12 months, um, specifically ever since Gruden was hired. You know, so he's he's a player I really like. I wish that they would just give him a chance, just give him an entire year to just play and to not be buried on the depth chart and just let him go out there. I feel like he's more of a gamer, you know? I feel like his impact is not something that may, might flash in practice. It's something that he gets in games, he gets physical, he sets the tone. And, uh, you know, I feel like we can use him better. And, and I would hate to see him go. But if he, he does go, I certainly hope it's involved in like a trade format where we're yeah. getting something in return. Yeah, and I know I know what you're talking about too with that exercise in the fifth year option. I did see that a few days ago. Uh, maybe a, hopefully a safety blanket to try and work out a contract extension depending on how they feel. I've also seen reports that uh, either the coaching staff or Carl Joseph himself doesn't quite have trust in the system or his fit. Interesting to see how that plays out. But also, man, like how you're saying, you know, you'd, you'd like to see him used more and used correctly. Uh, sometimes, you know, I wondered that too, especially early on in his career. Like you said, he was getting toasted by tight ends. Well, finally, for the first time uh, this year, you didn't see him mashed up on a tight end all the time. You may be seeing him crowd the box and maybe finally getting out there in the open field and playing center field a little bit, maybe a little bit more natural for him. Um, of course, I don't know. Why don't we put a hard-hitting Carl Joseph out there in the center? What kind of wide receiver is going to go wanting to run across that sucker and catch a deep ball with Carl Joseph about 10 feet away? You know what I mean? You're going to have no, second you're, thoughts. You're right, man. And, you know, like I understand the the point, too, of like, you know, Carl Joseph would be, you know, a lot more effective player 10, 15 years ago where you could hit. But the bottom line is the threat of getting hit hard still impacts players. Yeah. So, you know, they're not going through the middle. They're not going like, oh, you know, I'm not afraid to get popped because there will be a flag. So there's no – no, Carl Joseph is there. He's they know that you. he can lay the wood. So they're definitely going to have that in mind. And, um, you know, and, and it's funny you mentioned the kind of reports that have come out. There's been a little rumblings too about somehow like him, maybe the Steelers being interested in him. And, um, you know, I, I wonder if he would be part of a trade in return for like Antonio Brown. It's kind of – I mean, obviously there's a lot of reports being thrown around right now, but – I really would like, you know, him to stick around. And, and you alluded to you didn't see him matched up on tight ends as much. Well, that just means that Gunther used him a little bit better when he was on yeah. the field than, you know, Ken Norton did. So, yeah. I feel you on that. You know, moving on past uh, Carl Joseph, I think the second guy that deserves to be mentioned here is uh, Eric Harris. There we go. The guy that, you know, I, I still remember him being signed in, during the 2017 season. Um, I think it was early on in the year. Might even been right before the opener against Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, uh, you know, he was brought in uh, by Jack Del Rio's staff, and he's just grinded and worked extremely hard to get on the field. He was purely a special teams player in 2017. And then in 2018, you started to hear throughout training camp that Gruden said, you know, this guy has a really good chance of being a starting safety for the Oakland Raiders. Mm -hmm. And that didn't start out right away. Uh, you know, him being the, the starting safety. But you saw as the year went on, the Raiders got a little banged up. He got on the field. Uh, he started, you know, starting some games and being an effective yeah. player. And, you know, he got – he had that interception against Cincinnati I was pretty pumped about. I want to ask you, Cody, what are the, the things that you like about Eric Harris and where do you see his future being? You know, is, is it with the Raiders or or do you think we'll be moving on from him? What do you what do you think about Eric Harris? Well, the first thing is, is you, you kind of have to have a, a ceiling for Eric Harris. And whenever you look at him, I mean, I hate to count the guy out, but he was never supposed to be a starting safety. You know what I mean? He was almost never even supposed to be 
on a 53-man roster in this league. He was pretty much completely counted out, a special teamer at best, and he, he he's worked his way up to this position to where maybe people doubt him. You know, of course, it's deserved. He hasn't proved anything uh, for, of course, uh, these know-it-all fans to uh, rant and rave about. But whenever I see Eric Harris, man, is he's trying his best, and if he has any opportunity to stick with the Raiders and be that guy, he's going to do it. You know, if he has that chance, he will because you know he's putting in the work and you know every snap that he gets, he's earned it and he deserves it. So whenever I see Eric Harris, uh, no doubt I don't expect him, you know, to be maybe a starting safety going into next year, but I expect him to have a vital role, no doubt, man. That's honestly a really good way to put it. I, I look at him as a lunch pail type player. Yeah. You know, he's going to get in early. He's going to work extremely hard. He's going to maximize his potential. Everything he has, he's going to leave it on the field. And he's a good role model for younger players. Heck he yeah. always talks about, you see him on Twitter, he's got like, I think he says something like his mentality is he's the 53rd player out of 53. That's his mentality. Wow. He works extremely hard. And and I, I, you think he, I think he hit the nail on the head. Eric Harris, special teams, and a depth player, at safety, a guy that if you have an injury, you know he can come in and be solid for you. Is he going to mm-hmm. be a star? No, he's probably not going to be a star. You know, no. The, no. Carl Joseph has much more potential, uh, you know, a, a individually than than Eric Harris does, even though they're built completely different. But uh, I would say that that Eric Harris, the best interest in the Raiders is to have the more Eric Harris's you can have, the better. And I definitely would like, you know, the Raiders have an option on him. He's a restricted free agent, similar to what we mm-hmm. talked about with Daryl Worley. Um, you know, so they can second round tender him for a little over $3 million. I think he's worth it. I'd bring him back, yeah. put him in a contract year, let him grind some more in the dirt, you know, and, uh, and, and, <laughs> you know, bring that, bring that leadership and that hardworking mentality, man. Um, Agreed. you know, and then, uh, so segue to some more, you know, safeties that we got here. Um, Marcus Gil- Gilchrist was another guy that the Raiders brought in. Um, you know, I remembered him playing for the, the Texans previously, uh, and he's an unrestricted free agent coming up this year. When he was signed, I was pretty excited about him coming in. I was like, man, like this is a safety that it's going to be decent. Like no more like Reggie Nelson playing. Obviously Reggie Nelson played a ton. Okay. So, uh, but, uh, what are your thoughts on Gilchrist? And, uh, do you think, uh, there's a possibility of him returning to the silver and black? You know, I'll start with by saying I think there is a good possibility that he returns to the silver and black, and not necessarily in a huge role. But you hear him ranting and raving all off season about just his leadership and how smart he is. Um, Derek Carr's even said it himself. Marcus Gilchrist is probably the smartest defensive player that he's played against. So, you know, what does that entail for Paul Gunther? You know, obviously he's going to want players like that out on the field, whether that means during the season. Or during training camp, I think uh, there's a good chance. I mean, obviously, his production wasn't anywhere near through the roof this year. So it's not like he's going to demand a big contract. Maybe we lock him up in just another year or two on a decent uh, decent deal, something friendly, a couple million, toss him out there, bring him back to the silver and black, let him be a leader, let him be that on-field coach. And uh, I like Marcus Gilchrist, man, something about him. I feel you. And, you know, you talk about his intelligence. I believe that Paul Gunther said in one of his interviews uh, prior to the season, or it might have been early on in the year, that he would really like Gilchrist to be a coach one day on his yeah. staff. You know, so that that kind of proves your point there in, in regards to the IQ he has for the game. Um, kind of segueing on to another uh, guy that we're not a huge fan of his play and Reggie Nelson. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm certainly hoping that you're going to be saying he's not going to be a Raider anymore, but, uh, you know, I, I've let my thoughts be known. What, what's your take on Reggie Nelson and his future, uh, not just with the Raiders or with the NFL at all? Well, I'm, 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 I backtrack myself now a little bit this year because I found myself uh, downplaying Reggie Nelson a lot when originally I was really excited when we signed him. Uh, he, he came out of Cincinnati. Of course, he was on the, on the downside of his career, but he was that ball-hawking safety that we thought was going to come in and make some big plays. Uh, kind of maybe that Charles Woodson-esque, but of course we should have known that there's no other player like Charles Woodson in the league. Uh, we can't expect that same production on a guy on the downside. But when I see Reggie Nelson, man, the only thing I can think of is number 20 in the orange, making plays, leading the league in interceptions. He's had a great career, man. And it's unfortunate that we've had a witness these last two years. You know, I'm never going to knock a player for still wanting to play in the league, but it's sometimes I feel like it's just, it's just unfortunate and it's hard on him to uh, see him kind of take this kind of wrath and take this kind of beating uh, to end a very stellar career of Reggie Nelson's. So, like I said, I don't want him on the team, but, I mean, I got I, I give a little respect where respect is due. What do you think, Chris? No, I, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, he's played, what, 12 years in the league? You play a yeah. dozen years in the NFL, you did something right. You yeah. know, uh, And his 2016 season, he had five picks for the Raiders, and I know he gave up a bunch of big plays, but I kind of justified it. You know, yeah, but he gets interceptions, turnovers. You know, he has a nose for the ball. Obviously, that kind of died out um, in 2017. And then, you know, there was two spots, two moments in the offseason that I remember looking at waking up in the morning, looking at my phone, getting my Raider update. And two moments where I was bummed that that kind of stand out. The first one, you know, the, the most notable is the Khalil Mack. I woke up to the Khalil Mack trade. And the second one, I woke up to a... Vic Tafer, the Raiders are re-signing Reggie Nelson. I was like, what? You know, like, and obviously, you know, I, I definitely, he's an NFL player. I, I, you know, what, I really have no right to sit here and, you know, talk negatively about him. But I really, um, even though he has the experience in Gunther's system, I really don't want Reggie Nelson coming back. I would want them to fill that spot um, with someone younger and with more ability if they're going to put on the uniform. If he wants to be a coach, that's one thing, but I'd, I'd, I'd be hoping we move on from him. Yeah. So just like you said, uh, we have some, uh, we have a pretty good core here, I think, of secondary players to build around, but there's some pieces to add. So uh, let's fire this thing up. Let's dive into some free agent options, Chris. All right, let's do it. Now, if we're looking to add like a veteran player or two, uh, I'd say definitely that this year is a good year to do it. Um, the group definitely has plenty of talent, and for me, the first guy, not necessarily completely realistic, the first guy that I have my eye on is Ronald Darby. Um, he's a guy that I don't necessarily see the Eagles letting go of by any means, but he is rehabbing an ACL tear. Um, of course, he's going to be ready by next season, and he's already looking fresh, ready to go. Uh, not quite cleared, but he's looking good on schedule, maybe even ahead of schedule. But man, if he hit the open market... That is our answer, and not even just at nickel. I mean, he's always been known to get on the slot guy. He's the quick little guy that makes plays, uh, really dives on the ball. Uh, but this year, man, in Philadelphia, he's proven that he could go anywhere. You've seen him line up on the outside. You've seen him uh, shut down top corners in the NFL, making huge plays. I mean, I couldn't even tell you. I've probably watched three Eagles games this year, and I've seen Ronald, Ronald Darby probably break up 10 to 12 balls. I mean, he, he was definitely the highlight of their secondary and 
Of course, it was his contract year, so that could have been a reason he stepped up. But there's no doubt, man, if we have if we have space to go after him, coming off an ACL injury, maybe he needs a prove-it deal. Maybe Philadelphia doesn't want to give it to him. Maybe Oakland does. I don't know. Ronald Darby, for me, virtually first on my list. And another guy I have my eye on here is uh, coming out of Cincinnati, Darquez Denard. Uh, he might still have some ties here to Pauly G's defense now in Oakland. Um, but, of course, I mean, to me, Denard is a very similar player to Darby, another guy that can move all over the secondary, definitely a guy that we can plug in if Nick Nelson isn't quite the guy. Maybe there's some injuries or any – I mean, any anything that can hold our pl- other players off the field, anything that holds off Conley or Worley. Uh, Denard's another guy that can come in slightly cheaper than Darby and already be familiar with the system, not have a big hump to get over in the offseason and and be ready to go, man. But for me, uh, of course, I was kind of focusing on cornerbacks. Now, Chris, if we're looking at safeties, what are a couple options that you see free agent-wise? Well, I'm just going to get the most notable out of the way. Um, you know, and it's not a guy that I think the Raiders are going to get. And not a guy that I would prefer the Raiders to pay, but I'll mention him, Earl Thomas. Um, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk with him going to the Cowboys, but there has been some talk, uh, you know, in regards to, you know, some blue check marks on Twitter, you know, um, about Earl Thomas being a target that the Raiders should have. Uh, but a report just came out in the last couple of days that, you know, Earl Thomas wants to be paid like the top safety in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been really banged up the last few years, um, hasn't played a lot. And I know that a lot of that's freak and unfortunate. Um, Earl, there's no doubt Earl Thomas can play, uh, but he's going to be 30 years old this coming year. He's going to be extremely expensive and he hasn't been healthy recently. So I would hope that the Raiders went a different direction. I feel like there's some cheaper, solid options out there. Um, one name I'm going to mention um, here is Ha Ha Clinton Dix. Uh, he's going to be 27 this year, going into the sixth season. Um, he was a first-round pick back in 2014. Uh, you know, he played with Green Bay until the middle of last year when Washington brought him in. I think it'd be a nice veteran signing. It wouldn't be splashy, but it also probably wouldn't be insanely expensive. He had three interceptions last year, 11 over his past three seasons. You know, he's he's mostly been a free safety and that could pair well with Carl Joseph if we kept Joseph around and kept him as more of a box safety. Um, although Gunther plays a lot of just kind of two high safeties that are pretty much equivalent. So I don't know if the free safety, uh, strong safety is really super important to label in Gunther's system. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that Ha Ha Clendix would be an option. And another guy that I kind of thought the Raiders were going to sign last year, Georgia Loca. Uh, you know, he parted yeah. ways with Cincinnati and, uh, you know, I, I thought the, I know the Raiders had interest. He has a ton of experience in Gunther's system. And uh, I know he considered the Raiders. He ended up going to the Vikings. I think he went to Minnesota because it was more of a, you know, a situation where probably the higher likelihood to win. So that's probably why he went there. Um, you know, look at his, you know, contract situation. He didn't make too much money last year. So it wasn't necessarily a money thing. I believe he made less than a million dollars as a Viking last year. So, um, he's a guy, big guy, 6'4", 225, experience in Gunther's system, um, you know, still decently young. Uh, you know, when you look at him, I mean, he's going to be 29 next year. 
So he's a guy that I would really consider bringing in if I was Gruden and Gunther. And then obviously Mayock has a, a part in that as well. Yeah, last year I was almost no doubt set that Georgia Loco was going to be a Raider. I even told my wife as soon as he was a free agent, I said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's going to be a Raider, no doubt. But, of course, yet again, I was wrong on something like that. Uh, life of a Raider fan. But let's uh, jump into a little bit of uh, draft prospects. And just like how you're kind of focusing – on safeties, I kind of focused on corners. So I'm just going to go ahead and start this thing off, man, with Greedy Williams coming out of LSU. And whenever you hear LSU, it's hard to bring up the conversation of who is DBU without talking about LSU, man. And uh, their six foot, 275 pound corner, of course, is coming out with great length, a little bit of a thin frame, but you can get away with that, man. He's a shutdown corner and he's a freak athlete. And for pass coverage, man, Greedy is obviously the top of his class. Um, and the first thing that you look at is his ability to run the route and prevent separation. Um, he, he possesses enough speed to carry his verticals, and he has the recoverability to close gaps from breaks. Um, it's absolutely amazing on some of the tape I've watched. Um, he has quick feet and the agility to stay in that hip pocket, which is key for these rookies. You wouldn't believe it, man. Uh, it, it's natural. It comes, it, it comes so easy for a guy like Greedy. And he just obviously has that natural instinct. Greedy. Garyon, man, if we had the two of those guys, one-two punch for our defense, I'm all on board, Chris. I'm all on board. Man, I mean, that would be a really nice one-two combo for sure. Um, the issue I have with, with Greedy is I feel like where he's being projected is a little higher than where I would feel comfortable taking True. him. I mean, I some people are cool with taking him at four. I'm not, mm. I'm not one of those guys. I think that's a little steep. Um, if the Raiders were to trade back around 10, I would be completely comfortable taking Greedy Williams. But I think 10 to what 15, could be a man. more, yeah, and I think what could be a little bit more realistic as far as the corner position, a guy I'm really high on. Now, Greedy Williams is my CB1 in the class, but Byron Murphy out of Washington is pretty close yeah. there. Um, he, I consider him my CB2, but you could say 1A, 1B. I'm a huge fan of his. I mean, his his hip movement, his explosiveness on the ball um i'm a big fan of his um there's been some you know a knock on him as far as like maybe he's not a super physical press corner but i think he's underrated in that way and uh, i think he's soon to surprise a lot of people when i watch his film i just i see a lot of positive play and uh, i see a guy who's smart and intelligent and understands his position and uh you know last year had 58 tackles uh four for loss he had four picks um you know he has a six picks in 20 career games, you know, which the last two seasons as, as a Husky. And, uh, I feel like if he's available in the 24, 27 range that he's a guy I would consider, um, especially if we don't take, you know, trade back and take greedy, um, earlier in the first round. So, um, I feel like we would, we wouldn't be doing the cornerback draft portion do justice if we didn't mention Murphy. Um, also some good names, you know, that we could get on day two as well. Um, if we don't go corner, uh, you know, um, in the first round cool no, i like that stuff man there like i said there's some depth in there it's just about finding the right guy in the right position for us and greedy just isn't quite in our zone yet but you never know we might trade out he might he might all of a sudden uh, jump into our window you'll never see but and we uh, could also be wrong greedy could be taken at four and he could be the best yeah. corner that the raiders have had since the Samoan. you know what i mean so we we don't know but greedy's definitely a really good prospect but when I look at it now, I, I do see a few things that just make me, I don't know about the fourth overall pick. When you compare to guys like Quinn and Williams, 
or Nick Bosa, mm -hmm. Ed Oliver, Josh Allen. Those are what I consider to be the four elite prospects that I would feel comfortable taking at number four. Um, no, I don't feel comfortable taking Kyler Murray at number four. Just keep that clear. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's it, it just comes down to that for me personally. Now, that kind of wraps me up for secondary in the rookie class. Chris, what are some safety options? And at the end of yours, I have I have a little bonus to safety. What do you got? Well, um, you know, there's two notable safeties that I've watched the most tape on. Um, to me personally, the best safety in this class is Nazir Adderley out of Delaware. I've watched a, a bunch of his film. To me, he has it all. He, he can play center field. He has range. Um, he's a playmaker on the ball. You know, he uh, he's had 10 interceptions the last three years, um, gets his hand on balls. Um, you know, he really has recovery speed. He can play in the box. He's kind of like Carl Joseph in a way. He'll get in there where the traffic's crazy and he'll lay a hit down. Um, you know, there's a he's also returned punts. There's this clip I tweeted out, I believe, a week or two ago where he was returning a punt and he just straight went down the sideline and just smacked the guy on the coverage unit and literally stood over him for a minute while he was still in the field of play. I remember seeing and then that. just attitude. like, okay, I better keep running now. But I just love his attitude. <laughs> yeah. um, there to me, he he can do everything. He's a heck of a tackler. You know, I know I talked about him being in the box and really getting there with the run game, but he can tackle, and that's a huge part. And Gruden even touched on that. He's like, we need to get guys that we know that can wrap up and tackle. He started talking mm -hmm. about how huge DK Metcalf is. Are we going to have corners that are okay and fine with going up and wrapping these dudes up and bringing them down? And Adderley, to me, he just screams football player. You know, he just screams as a guy that that's plays with no fear, a no-fear attitude. Um, you know, so I, I really like him. I feel like he's the best safety in the draft. His physicality and closing burst is to me, second to none in this draft in, in terms of safeties. And then, you know, when you look at a guy like Deontay Thompson out of Alabama, he's the flashier name. Um, you know, you look at, go back to the first few weeks of, you know, this past college season in 2018, a lot of people saw Deontay Thompson as being a top 10 pick. You know, he was a surefire top you know, first half of the first round. And he had some, some difficult times in the second half of the season in particular, obviously he got killed in the national championship game. Um, you know, I, I want to, I don't want to put that all on him. I feel like the entire defense was shocked at how good that kid out of Clemson was just throwing dimes everywhere. Um, but he gave up some big plays that, mm -hmm. you know, are, are concerning. Um, yeah. As an athlete, Deontay Thompson has it all. You know, he is the all the physical tools, the boxes you check. Um, but I don't feel like uh, he is when, when you look at his, you know, combine the football IQ, the you know, whether he gives up big plays, his tackling, his coverage ability, getting in the box, blah, blah. I just feel like Adderley's the, the best safety. Deontay Thompson is a guy that I really whereas before I kind of thought that, man, I'd totally take him with the 24th pick. Now it's kind of a more of a situation of, well, who else is available in that position? There might be some other guys that I actually wouldn't necessarily be thrilled taking Deontay Thompson until maybe the early second round. I just there's there's a lot that that I saw that kind of turned me off a little bit in the second half of the year. And and there's just so many guys that I feel like are just ahead of him, like on my big board. I know it's silly. I make a big board, but. Um, I, I feel like Deontay Thompson might not be the best option available at 24 or 27, most likely. So, 
Uh, he's a guy, if he was somehow available in a great value situation at 35, that I would consider. There we go. And maybe uh, whenever you're looking at safety, maybe that's not a position of need that we attack at all through the early rounds. And maybe we get that, a chance. Cody. I want hey. Hatterley in the first well, round, 24th pick. So well, don't talk to okay. me about that. Let's pretend we take Adderley then. Okay, we take Adderley. Okay. Well, we still want to pick up. I'm happy up. now. I'm happy now. Thank you. Okay, I'm glad you're happy. Now shut up for a second, Chris, and let me get through <laughs> my play. <laughs> no, man. When you look later, I don't get very many chances uh, to get high on a on a Fresno State player, but this is one of the three guys, actually mainly one of the two guys that I'm high on this year. Safety Mike Bell coming out of Fresno State, six foot three, 203 pounds. Like I said, man, it's my hometown team. Don't knock me for it, man. I, I have I a little don't, bit. Of a, man. Keep going. I love it. I have a little bit of a bias towards them, but you know, I'm not just I'm not just picking these guys out of the blue. Um, I watched him for three years there at Fresno State, man, and he and he, and he played awesome, dude. I I couldn't tell you. Uh, he's kind of one of those guys that that would fly over the top. Trust me, man. If he had a sight set and he started running downhill on a player, ah. You better, you better hope that player is holding on to that ball because I tell you what, he lights him up. So whenever I see Mike Bell and you see the way he plays, the only thing I can think of is a duo of Mike Bell and Carl Joseph. I mean, they both here's, – here's the trick. It's just like how you say Paul Gunther doesn't necessarily have a specific free safety, strong safety. It, it, they kind of go hand-in-hand hand with each other. And both Mike Bell and Carl Joseph can kind of do that. You want a center fielder in Mike Bell? He'll play center field. You want a center fielder in Carl Joseph? He'll play center field. Either one of these guys can climb up in the box and make a tackle behind the line. He's just one of those uh, another guy. It's just, it just looks like a heat-seeking missile, man. He gets running downhill, and, and he breaks through blocks. He finds that gap, and he lights the player up. I couldn't tell you how many times he'd just blow up a screen pass. It's almost ridiculous. Um, and just another guy that whenever you watch, just a fluid guy, natural ability, fourth-round pick, I think for my hometown kid, Mike Bell, that's a steal. That's how I'd uh, that's how I'd cap off. That's how I'd uh, start. Should I say that's how I would start off day three, no doubt. You know what I love? I love your passion. You know, and and I have to I have to admit your your Fresno State love. You turned me on to Keyshawn Johnson, and I can't stop watching him. So it's the real deal. I'm gonna believe you, and I'm gonna put Mike Bell on my list. You know. Contrary to what some people think, it is literally impossible to watch film on every prospect. Oh, yeah. I certainly oh, yeah. attempt to carve time out to watch, and it is impossible. But I'm going to put Mike Bell on the list because I did it with Keyshawn Johnson, and honestly, that's a dude that can play. I was I was shocked when I watched him. It was kind of like, all right, Cody's just super high on this guy just because you know, <laughs> he's a bulldog man. But, um, man, uh, he could play. So I'll definitely add Mike Bell to my, uh, Mike Bell to my list and uh, – you know, I, I love that the, the local passion is cool, you know, because guys like you, you know, I, I'm sure probably most people out there that, you know, are kind of, you know, not a draft expert probably haven't heard of Mike Bell. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So uh, that's why these guys come out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, sometimes the local kids end up being the best kind of players. So uh, appreciate you, you know, bringing in your, your Fresno State uh, homerism to, to the podcast once again. <laughs> yeah, man. Don't sleep on the Mountain West. Don't sleep on the Mountain West. They got some talent well, in I there. I think we got a pretty good player out of Fresno State on our roster right now. What's his name? Uh, oh, man. I think is uh David or Darren or, or man. Darren. Something with a Darren. D. Slippy, Slappy, Samsonite. uh It'll come to me. We will have to yeah, talk about Yeah, yeah, we'll get episode. we'll get to that later. 
I'll, uh, I'll we'll we'll Google it. We'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll figure out who that was? Yeah. Fresno State star, Fresno State player. Not I think sure he might wear, wear a little bit of mascara too. I'm not 100 percent sure. He does have a little guy liner, huh? Little yeah, guy a little guy liners on there. <laughs> I, I may or may not have his jersey in, in. Oh, you know what? I do have his jersey in my uh, my man cave. It's Derek Carr. My bad. Derek, Derek Carr. Carr. That's, that's there who we it is. go. Yeah. There we go. Gosh dang it, man. David, Darren, Derek, same thing, same thing. All right, Chris, let's take a minute to show some love to the supporters that help make this show happen. Raider Nation, make sure you check out Dan from DC4L Custom Tees. Dan's been with us since day one. He carries all the Raider Cody podcast gear. And not just our gear, he has his own line of custom Raider shirts. There's a hot topic going down in Raiders world. Guarantee you he's got a shirt that's dropping soon. My personal favorite is the felonious fan shirt. It perfectly represents our fan base. And as Raiders fans, it's time we just rep it proud, man. Next, make sure you check out rnforlifer.com. That's Raider Nation for Lifer. He has a lot of custom little accessories that you normally wouldn't think about, so you have to visit his website. But he has custom pins, custom patches. I've seen custom shoes. And my favorite is he has a full-blown custom Raider Nation flag, and it's the real deal. It's not your typical Amazon flag. This thing is full-stitched, full-embroidered. That's a guy you definitely got to check out. You can find him on Instagram and Facebook, but go to his website. That's rnforlifer.com. And our newest supporter. Make sure you check out Made by Tony Perez. You can find him only on Instagram at Made by Tony Perez. He does custom metal artwork, CNC, plasma cut, aluminum signs. I mean, he does signs. I've seen trailer hitches. And if you feel like finding out more, feel free to call him. That's 209-756-1830. But if you have any questions on where to find these guys, go to RaiderCody.com, and I have links to each one of their pages. Now let's quit messing around and let's get back to the show. Uh, this was a good week. It was a good bounce back week. It was great getting Amy Trask, Ted Wynn on here, talking about a great secondary group. And make sure if you're not involved, get back involved. Uh, turn our notifications on our Twitter page at Raider Cody Pod. I promise you, we don't even probably tweet once a day. Only important informational stuff. Get involved with the live stream that's going down almost every Friday night. Of course, we're still dropping our podcast uh, Saturday nights, Sunday mornings. And it's completely different. Just because you hear our podcast uh, doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to our Periscope or live stream. It's completely different. We get on there. We, we get real involved uh, with the viewer. We talk about things. We have a, maybe a few new segments. We have, of course, the game show going on. Chris has been breaking down some film room stuff. But like I said, if you have any comments um, on Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham, call it into our hotline, 808 650 seven two two zero make it short make it sweet we want to hear the opinion maybe we'll take another crack at it next week chris you have anything else to say man man it was a great episode really uh enjoyed having ted and amy on and talking about the dbs appreciate you cody raider nation and i look forward to to talking and conversing with you on the twitter streets and until next week see you later see you guys let's go raiders